Kia ora, I'm Georgia. I'm Catherine. And you're listening to... Pinpod! Kia ora, and welcome to this week's episode of Parent Pod. Um, Georgia is back and a married woman. I'm back and <laughs> things are exactly the same as when I left. <laughs> I'm just married oh. now. Oh, how was it? Oh, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, it was the most perfect day. Oh. It's, it's funny. We, um, yeah, obviously had the wedding, which was beautiful and then went away for a few nights and then was actually last Monday Tomo went back to work and we were like do we just carry on as how we were and nope, <laughs> nothing actually really changes but it was yeah it was so special it's we felt very very lucky to have all of our or you know most of our favorite people um in one room celebrating it was oh, super special we only had like one one lot of our besties couldn't come because of COVID, but um, they actually, Gosh, great. our ceremony was outside. So they actually could come to the ceremony and they just stood away from everyone. Oh, so, oh that's lovely. Yeah, that was really special. Um, they've got a couple of young kids as well. So throughout the ceremony, Harry was yelling out, like literally during my vows, he's like, Margo's there. Margo's there. <laughs> oh. Which was super cute. Um, and it kind of yeah, you know, really cute. lightened the mood having the kids there. So, Oh, definitely. It adds to it, I'm sure. It did. Yeah, it was just so special. Yeah. Mm, so special the kids got to experience it with you. Yeah. Yeah. That is, it is oh. really special. I mean, I'm sure they won't really remember much but or anything, but lots of photos and we've got it videoed and and things so I'm sure it's something that we'll really treasure and watch as they grow up so Mm. and you looked incredible thank you so beautiful thank you um we did we did share some photos on our stories but maybe we should put another couple up once this is released people can see our photographer was amazing she's like look on the day after she sent through over 100 photos already and oh wow they were just all so good I've probably been that annoying person sharing too many photos but it was just hard to choose oh, love a wedding pic yeah she was fantastic um so we're so stoked can't wait to see the rest of them and really can't wait to see our video either I think that takes a few months though but Thank you to you for holding down the fort. I really enjoyed listening to you and Marley having a chat last week. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been great fun. I we will have some amazing guests. It will be my turn when you are off having baby to hold down the fort for us. So thank you so much. <laughs> it's probably going to be longer. Yeah, that's, that is totally <laughs> fine. Um, how have you been? How are you feeling? Yeah, great. I'm how good? feeling well. Yeah, I got an iron infusion last week oh. and it turns out that's a it's like a boost to making you feel amazing oh so highly recommend <laughs> um yeah that was lovely it's so good and it was, so did you yeah did you go into the hospital for that yes yeah the um it was funny the the midwife I got my blood test results back and um 
like my ferritin and HP was really low. And she said, have you been a bit tired recently? And you think, like, what kind um, of, like, I, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> when you're pregnant, what do you, you just can't differentiate between tiredness and from life, can you? Or tiredness from pe- being pregnant or being a parent and then tiredness from low iron stores, can yeah. you? Where do you, where do you draw the this line? Thing, not when you have two other children. Yeah. Um, and she said, like, I'm sure you have no idea. You're probably just tired and full stop. But she, we've got something special for you. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, it it works. I definitely have noticed a difference. It's worked a treat. Oh, I'm so pleased for you. That's that's great. Yeah. And bonus, it was a you know, couple of hours of just chilling out and watching Netflix while I got it so yeah that was the best part of it wasn't it it's not even that you feel good now it's that you got two hours to yourself oh definitely I went for a coffee afterwards it was delightful good on you yeah um so yeah can't complain feeling great and it's awesome timing in the run-up to Christmas and the madness of that isn't it yes yeah kind of for us Christmas has really snuck up because we weren't really thinking about anything beyond the wedding and now I'm like oh my god it's the what like 13th of December and Christmas is so soon so I need to we're there need to get organized yeah um yeah and with that this is actually our last episode for the year um Mm. and we've saved a real goodie for last haven't we haven't yeah we really have it we we have the incredible Dr. Sophie Mace chatting to us today. Um, we've, we'll leave we'll leave all the details to the episode, but highly recommend. And it's just such a lovely one to finish the year on. I think. Yeah, it is. It really was reassuring and a, yeah made made you feel like you're doing a good job as a parent, which I think we all need before we go into the mm. holiday season. Oh, definitely. That remembering that actually everything that goes with Christmas as lovely as it all is you know at the heart of it is just you know you and your whanau and that really isn't it yep get rid of some of the shoulds that was the biggest thing I took from her oh yeah definitely yeah definitely yeah great well let's get into it and enjoy the episode today we have Dr Sophie Mace a consultant GP and lactation consultant in Nelson who specialises in perinatal and infant health, in particular breastfeeding, sleep and mental health. Sophie also has a keen interest in ADHD and supporting neurodiverse parents, particularly in those first 1,000 days. You actually may know Sophie as the founder of Aotearoa Baby Clinic, an awesome GP clinic in Nelson, focused on the perinatal period, who also have incredible information and resources at aotearoa.baby.clinic on Instagram. On top of all of this, Sophie also has your own two gorgeous children. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us today, Sophie. We already said, but it was a challenge to get everything that you do into that little intro. So, yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Sophie, could you just tell us a little bit more about the Aotearoa Baby Clinic and what it is that you do there? Yeah, so um, Aotearoa Baby Clinical ABC is a medical clinic, which is um, at the moment me and a specialist nurse, mm-hmm. um, and we specialise in perinatal and infant health. So in particular would be breastfeeding or infant feeding, um, sleep and fussiness or unsettled 
babies, so those babies that um, babies that cry a lot or seem in pain or unsettled, mm-hmm. um, and also with a special interest in maternal mental health and infant mental health. Oh. I guess those wow. probably so kind of go together, don't they? If you've got a fussy baby and maternal they, mental health, they do. Yeah, yeah. So all of those things, um, particularly in the early first kind of couple of weeks, months, or year. Um, all of those things overlap mm. quite a lot, and it's often a bi-directional thing as well. So um, one affects the other and then affects the first. Mm. Yeah. And how yeah. long have you been running Aotearoa Baby Clinic for? So uh, just over a year. I think I started oh, wow. maybe end of 2021. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, congratulations. Yeah, so he'd been doing <laughs> Yeah. I should have I should have like had a specific start date that I could have celebrated, but I've got no yes. idea what it was. <laughs> you um, just need to make one and then you can celebrate. I should it. just make it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I was doing this work in my regular GP work, um, mm. and sort of chatting to people online and giving advice and then um tried to get funding to set something up within the health system down here and struggled. So then I thought, well, at least if I do private then it's available to some people and then I can just keep trying to push for public funding mm. yeah. um, for this type of thing as well. So Yeah, it's so needed. Yeah, I know. I know. It really is. I, yeah. can, I can rant about this stuff for a long time, so I'll try, oh, to, I bet. try not to get onto it. Yeah. Um, so, Sophie, what are some of the most common reasons that parents might come and see you at the clinic? Yeah, so probably those those three so breastfeeding yeah. issues which might be um pain for mum or um baby's not gaining weight very well or mm. um just concerns about feeding of some kind okay. um fussiness at the breast so you know babies who pull off and fuss and arch their back and push away and things like that anything where feeding bottle or breast is not easeful if that yeah, makes right. sense you know yeah. if it's if feeding is stressful for mum or for the parent or the baby, then mm-hmm. um, that's usually something I can help with. Mm, um, yeah. Sleep, I'm seeing a lot of sleep stuff at the moment. Mm. Um, and then the the unsettled baby, so babies who seem to be in pain a lot of the time or um, crying a lot. And often I'm seeing those um, through the lens of sleep or feeding as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they come in for one of the other things and then it, it you know, there might be something else going on that we need to dig into. Mm. Gosh, mums yeah. must love coming to see you because there's nothing better than feeling heard, is there, when when you mm. are in that space? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, obviously, I'm a GP and I love GPs, um, but we're not taught this stuff in medical school or GP training. And so a lot of doctors are not always speaking from the evidence base or they don't know what to do in these sort of situations and as a parent going through that you're kind of left with not really much to go on Mm -hmm. yeah um or sometimes not feeling listened to or heard or maybe being listened to and heard but still not having anything to 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 do or to try and improve things um and so I think the benefit of what I'm able to do um and others like me is look at things from every angle mm-hmm. yep. so someone might come to me for a sleep issue um, and I'm able to work out is there a feeding issue is it purely sleep is it a mental health or relational thing is it um, a medical thing going on 
um, and can kind of assess and treat most of those things or refer on um, if it's something specialised like needs to see the nose and throat doctor or something like that. Mm. And do people come to you um, often through a referral from or they just find them yourself? uh, Yeah, I think they find me Mm -hmm. somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have had some patients referred by colleagues of mine, people I've worked with before. Um, But I think maybe through social media is where a lot of people, or word of mouth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great because I feel like when you go to your ordinary GP, you know, after you've been discharged by your by your LMC, you you mm. always wonder if they um, if that is an area kind of that they're interested in, have a lot of experience in, both mum and baby. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so I think it's yeah, it's fantastic that somebody can go to you and know that everything's being covered, and it's it's yeah. But kind of leading on to our next question, which is elsewhere in the world, that's quite normal, isn't it? To to go to a family doctor or a pediatrician or specialist clinic. I think, I think in America, that's what happens because general practitioners are not such a thing there. Right. Um, So in America, you've got what's called, this is my understanding of their primary care physician or primary care practitioner. And that might be a pediatrician or a gynecologist Mm. or a family doctor. So family doctor is a GP um, or whomever. Um, I think in New Zealand, Australia, the UK, um, we've got more of the GP system, I guess, um, where we can be kind of that one-stop shop. Um, So I think for most things, it works really, really well Mm. for people to have their family doctor, the kind of one person to go to who can take everything into account because mm-hmm. um, a lot of what we do is general practice although obviously it depends on the GP but a lot of what we do is kind of the physical and the mental health together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and looking at all of the systems as one um, and then being able to know when to refer and where to refer to is quite a skill um, whereas say in America you might be going to your gynecologist for contraception and smears and then if mental health comes up or if something else comes up you're going to see a different doctor and then when you've got a baby you're going to see a different doctor yeah right um, yeah quite time consuming so, I, I imagine so yeah we're well, probably it's, harder to yeah. build a relationship isn't it I think so and you know so a lot of young women for example will build their relationship with a gynecologist because that's mm-hmm. you know as a young woman that's the most likely yeah health care you're going to need is contraception or you know woman's health or sexual health um and then what happens when you you know and then you get pregnant and that might be the same doctor as an obstetrician but then you have a baby and so that's a pediatrician so mm-hmm. a whole new person yeah um and then as you get older and say if you develop other conditions if you've got you know gestational diabetes and you have to be followed up does your obstetrician do that or do you see an endocrinologist mm. yeah right. in New Zealand, the gp yeah exactly so in New Zealand your GP will be managing all of that and you might see an endocrinologist or a gynecologist specialist but your GP will be coordinating ideally will be coordinating all of that and will be like your kind of touchstone within the system right. um so if you need to clarify something or you need to go could these two things be related mm. um then that's where we come in mm. as well and I think um it's 
more common in maybe Australia and the UK is this gypsy or GP with special interests. So those of us who are GPs um, then going on and doing further training and specialising in something. Um, and so we've got those core GP skills. So we've got the, the holistic care, the whānau focused care. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at the whole picture, the the person, the individual, their whānau and the wider community. Um, and also the special interests. So, oh, and the communication skills. That's a huge part of general oh, practice. Bet, yeah. um, and then taking, yeah, taking that into a specialist mm. area. So um, in New Zealand, it's not super common, but skin, a lot of skin cancer doctors are GPs. Um, a oh, lot of okay. sexual health physicians are GPs. Um, it's like a lot of, like, we've got a Nelson here rheumatology clinic, which is mostly GPs. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, and so all of the, almost all of the breastfeeding medicine doctors in New Zealand are GPs. There's a couple who, there's um, a couple who aren't, but most of us are GPs. And so would, um, yeah. would you also then look at mum when, if you someone was coming to the Aotearoa baby clinic, or would it just be yes. baby? Yeah, so I kind of see both as my patients. Um and certainly when you look at infant health and infant mental health, um, you can't look at a baby in isolation. Mm. Um, so as Winnicott, who's one of the kind of founders of infant mental health, said there's no such thing as a baby. There's always a baby and someone else. Yeah. So true. Um, and Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, babies experience the world through the eyes of their primary caregiver and through that primary caregivers and through that relationship. Oh. Um, and so you can't look at an infant um, just by themselves, you need to know that wider context and you need to be looking after, you need to kind of take into account the, the mother or the dad or the grandma, grandmother or um, whoever is that primary caregiver Yeah. Um, as well. And I think that's, again, one of those things that as a GP I can do because both can be my patients and I mm. understand the health needs and well-being needs of both. Mm. Um, and often during a consult, it will kind of switch between the two so it'll you know maybe the baby comes the the primary issue seems to be the baby but then we get on to talking there's actually bigger stuff going on for mum or for dad um oh especially when it might be the opposite (laughs) especially when sleep's involved yeah Yeah. um or it might be the other way around where mum comes in because she's really stressed and actually maybe there's a medical thing going on with the baby and we can look at that and and look at how we can support her Mm. It really highlights yeah, the need got... for a great relationship with your GP to, before you, you know, have yeah. kids, doesn't it? Exactly. I think so. Yeah. So having somebody that you trust mm. um, to be able to listen to you, to know who, you know, who you are and just um, have that person there who can, and it's GP or nurse practitioner or clinic nurse, um, you know, primary care nurse or someone like that, um, who can just hold that stuff for mm-hmm. you when you need, yeah, when you need. Um, so, Sophie, on your Instagram, you talk about those all-important first thousand days. Um, we, as teachers, have heard a lot about the first mm. thousand days as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, language we've heard talked about. But can you just, yeah, tell us what are the first thousand days? Yeah, because it's something we hear, right? And then you're like, yep. but what does that even mean? Yeah, yeah. the same with infant mental health. People start? are like, what? That's yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. So the first thousand days is is defined as conception to age two. Right. Right. Okay. And I I almost think that it used to be like birth to age three and then they brought it 
earlier and the first thousand days is quite a catchy kind of term yeah but um the the gist of it is just that those early years so conception and some would say before conception but conception to age two is there's so much growth and development happening and there's so much um what's called neuroplasticity so the ability of the brain to grow and adapt and learn and change um and so experiences that happen in those in the first thousand days kind of set up um set up the wiring of the brain so that it informs us like how to interpret the world later on right so it kind of sets the scaffolding for how we interpret um, relationships and experiences that we have later on so even up you know into adulthood and um, as older adults will still be affected by what happened when we were very early very young children um which is kind of crazy to think about but I see it a lot with adults with mental health issues and chronic mm. pain I do a lot of chronic pain stuff and you you know sometimes you can take things right back to those very early experiences wow um yeah so it's really important and um I would say probably the the biggest importance for it is from almost a policy perspective point of view, because I think sometimes we talk about the importance of the first thousand days and that can put a lot of pressure on parents who might be struggling in those times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I know I have the belief that I think every parent is doing the absolute best they can mm-hmm. with what they've got. Um, mm-hmm. And so when we talk about the first thousand days and the things we should be doing, a lot of it in my perspective, there's certainly some things that we, you know I would talk to families about but a lot of it is actually the bigger picture of um policy and health systems and social systems and how do we prioritize Mm. services to provide care in those days in a way that is really going to support that peppy to thrive right okay yeah yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, mm. that does. Yeah. And we do see more yeah. and more of that starting to happen, don't we, with with finally those days being given the recognition they deserve? Yeah, there's a lot of talk about it at the moment. Um, some investment. Okay, more action needed. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yes, definitely more, much more action needed. And one of the really cool things about the first thousand days is that there's this huge return on investment. So because mm. of that um, real neuroplasticity uh, and ability to change, if you put things in place in that time, if you invest time and money, it pays incredible dividends later on. Um, so for kind of for a health system or mm. policy, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and for parents, if, if possible, put you know, making changes earlier, if they can to make things a bit easier for themselves or their babies will pay dividends later on as well mm. but, from yeah. from a health point of view or more of like a societal point of view or both both mm. both yeah so so early childhood experiences will impact um physical mental and social health yeah yeah gosh it's something even up to i know so like there was this um this, if any, if you guys have come across the ACEs study, Adverse Childhood Experiences study, so this is slightly different to the first thousand days, mm. but um, a study showing that um, they they looked at a set of ten experiences that children might have had under the age of eighteen, 
Um, and the more of these experiences these children had, the higher their risk of things like autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, wow. um, heart disease, early death. And that's when you take out smoking, you take out alcohol, you take out all the things we assume is going to cause that. Oh, wow. And it's actually just the, I know, so it's actually just the effects of, of stress, chronic stress on a child um, and how that kind of changes the immune system and the brain wiring and the nervous system and stuff. Gosh. The, yeah. It's talked about in Christchurch, I think, as well, quite a lot with mm. the earthquakes, isn't it? For babies who would have been in that first thousand days under two. So you assume that they mm. obviously had didn't experience it. But actually, you know, as they as the children the, go but through. But the parents experienced it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. The parents experienced it. Yeah. 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 And so that stress even prior to conception or, or during pregnancy or you know, just a parent's ability to or capacity to deal with certain things later on can be infected by major traumatic events like that. Mm. Sorry, six-year-old again. Evie, I've, <sighs> Evie, I can't talk right now, darling. Can you go and find Dad? Well, I can't help you. Cook this gone right now. <laughs> you can put it in the microwave for a little bit to defrost it. Can you shut the door, please? Ask Dad. <laughs> I do know more about scones than Dad. <laughs> Try 12 seconds. Oh, that's something for the CV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do know more about scones than, than Dad. Yeah. Oh, I love what they say. Okay, sorry. I don't know where we were. No, that's okay. I was just about to say, I don't know if you're thinking, Catherine, but Catherine and I both had our second babies when our eldest was only about 15 months old and it's just got me thinking mm. like that must have been such a big thing for our eldest yes to mm. go through at such a young age and I'm just like oh my gosh I wonder if that will kind of have an impact on them as they get older and a huge thing for you guys to go through y- yes. yeah only yep. 15 months postpartum right yeah, yeah. so yeah like there's the the child's ability to understand what's going on mm. Yeah, and there's also the parents' capacity to have a brand new baby and a 15 month old. Yeah, there's the physical demands of pregnancy and breastfeeding, mm-hmm. and the ability, you know, about you know recovering from all of that. So, I remember reading once in a lot of traditional cultures, there'd be roughly three year age gap, mm. as that was seen as the time it would take for a phys- for the body to physically recover from. Yeah. Pregnancy and breastfeeding. I mean, that makes wow. sense. Yeah, <laughs> it does make sense. Now that my youngest yeah. is fifteen months old, I'm like, what on earth were we thinking? Yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. And but like, how? So common, how did it? we do so, that? I know. I'm amazed. Mine are three years apart, and that was hard enough. But yeah, closer together, hard. Yes, it was. Mm. That's so common. I was, I was literally just thinking about the fact that my fir- the first day when I had both of them on my own at home, my 15-month-old electrocuted himself. <laughs> and, oh, no. And I just think, oh, God, what was what was I thinking? Like, what, what were we thinking having them so close together? <laughs> yeah. That definitely has yeah. impacted yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I do, I do wonder because I know when we wanted them, our kids really close together. But I what like when I was like yeah we're ready to start trying for a second looking back I wasn't ready to start trying for a second Mm. um 
but I thought that I was. Yes. So I, I find that one quite interesting. What goes through the brain is, is it just wanting to get it done with? Is it, I don't know. It must be hormonal, mustn't it? Because it. it happens with so many people. It must time. be, yeah. Yeah, like nine months, I think it was. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is, yeah, which is not, I wasn't doing well at nine months, so <laughs> who knows. But that 18 months, 18 months is a really common age gap for a lot of kids. It, lot yeah, of it does seem to be, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think a lot who where it's wider than that, it seems to be, that wasn't even by choice, where a lot of families started trying at that nine months and it just took a while. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's true. You don't, yeah, don't seem to make that many parents. Well, I haven't recently, and I might just be not asking the question, mm. but who have purposefully waited a lot longer. Mm. Well, you do, then when you start thinking about the first thousand days, because... Mm-hmm. I actually do feel a bit of anxiety whenever it's brought up because I think yeah. now both of my kids are over too. I mm. there's so many things I'm I'm just wondering if I missed the boat with those and I know and you're like, have I ruined oh, it? Yeah, have I, I ruined it? I did have I wasted my chance? Exactly. Like did I yeah. do enough of this? Yeah. And especially when we had two under two for quite some time. Mm. And then mm. I'm like, well, logic dictates they got fifty percent of me each tops. Probably a lot less. And does that mean... Possibly less, but no child is going to get 100% of us anyway. This is, this is we true. Can't, we can't give 100% and we, we shouldn't give 100%. But yeah. um, this is why I was saying before about when we talk about the first thousand days, I think it's easy for us as parents to then feel guilty mm, that yeah. we have missed the boat or that we haven't done something right. And really the focus of the first thousand days stuff should be on the support of from the community and from society so that as a parent you don't have to think about it it just will happen you know so if you are struggling there will be help if you ask for help it will be available Mm. um if you want to be at home with them you're able to financially Mm. you know or your partner is able to take time off as well or if you're wanting early childhood education then you've got access to really good quality early childhood education um and health services are set up so that if there's any feeding issues or sleep or anything then that help is available and widely and evidence-based and is really promoting the relational health and the infant mental health Mm. so that as a parent the all the good stuff we talk about is being needed in the first days just thousand days just happens right because that's what our brains are kind of designed, not designed, um, you know, it, it will, all going well, it will happen. Mm. But there's lots of things that get in the way. And I think the the focus of the first thousand days stuff should be removing those barriers rather mm. than putting the um, responsibility back on the parents. Because that's what so often happens with parenting at the moment in New Zealand and around the world is, the responsibility is purely on the shoulders of the parents and that's just not something that we can carry Mm. um, or should have to carry. So that's such an interesting way of looking at it. I've never thought about, yeah, the fact that, yeah, the first thousand days you're enough. That's, that's it. And it's the other stuff that needs to disappear. And it's probably something we need to learn from other culture, you know, from other cultures. I know my Chinese friends had a very different experience of, of like those first thousand yeah. days, yeah. Or the food, the you know the confinement. That, yes. Um, yeah. A lot of Asian 
whānau will have and um, a couple of other cultures around the world have where that, you know, however long it is, two weeks, 40 days, um, the birthing parent is really supported in that way. Um, mm, or, you know, intergenerational households mm. um, or traditional um, whānau in New Zealand where you've got aunties looking after, yes. you know, and the cousins are all, all of the tamariki are seen as siblings mm-hmm. and all of the adults at that age are all aunties um and you know there's just that parenting is shared yeah more it's a real um, and um, there would still be a primary caregiver or some primary caregivers but it's not all on your shoulders you're not, as you're saying before it's you're not giving you know you're not expected to give 100 of yourself mm. they do say it takes a village yeah. which is just it's not it's not possible to give 100 percent um and that's i think another kind of maybe misconception when it comes to infant mental health of the first thousand days that we need to get it all right yes yeah but actually we know again there's no such thing as a perfect parent um and children don't need perfect parents they actually need us to make mistakes Mm. sometimes oh definitely um and then they need us to own our mistakes so you know, it's very normal for us to get really frustrated and, you know, yell when a child does something. Mm-hmm. It's really irritating. <laughs> um, but what's important is that we're able to reflect on that and recognise it and communicate that mm. with our children so they learn that we are people as well. We have our own thoughts and feelings that are different from theirs mm-hmm. um, and that emotions are safe to express um, oh, yeah. and that it's normal to regain that connection again afterwards mm-hmm. um yeah. so that's that concept of the rupture and repair of mm-hmm. um the, you know it's inevitable that there will be a rupture of the relationship but what's important is the repair afterwards yes oh, so, the, so you know important. going back to your child later and saying look i i'm really sorry i yelled i was i was really tired and that was kind of uncalled for and i'm sorry mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, it's more important that that happens than we never yell. Oh, definitely not healthy yeah. at all for anybody involved, is it? Yeah. You know, and if there's a, you know, on the other side, if there's a a lot of yelling, a lot of difficulty for a parent, then that is something that's worth looking at. Um, I'm not saying that obviously that's something we should put up with as parents, mm-hmm. but um, but there's there's – we don't need to be perfect. Our kids don't need us to be perfect. Yeah. Just like you said before, we are enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just need us. They just want us. Mm, they really do, don't they? they? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So a lot of what I try and do, again, is kind of remove the barriers to that relationship. So what is getting in the way of parents being able to be the parents they want to be. Mm-hmm. So is it sleep deprivation? Is it pain when feeding? Is it crying a lot and that's stressful as hell and then you've got no capacity to do anything else? Um, you know, is it postnatal anxiety or depression that's getting in the yeah. way um, of being able to just be with your baby? Um, so that's kind of what I aim to do is looking at what's getting in the way of of the yeah ability of a parent to to be the parent that they want mm. to be basically what a real yeah. privilege i imagine when you see that that that's worked yeah oh yeah 
Such... Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I see some pretty amazing parents oh, I bet. in Fano. Yeah. So Sophie, what should we be, if we have to prioritise certain things, what should we be yeah. prioritising in that first thousand days? Because it's so much going on. Because there is so much going on. And it's hard to know, yeah, what's the most important thing. Yeah. Although I would say what's important is um, different for each family. Um, I think the, the biggest thing from my perspective, I guess, is that emotional health, yeah. um, the relational health. Yeah. So, so physical health is really important, obviously. And um, you know, if you talk to dietitians and pediatricians and stuff, the the what we're eating and all of that kind of thing, and and growth and the physical development is really important. Um, and I, but I think the probably the biggest thing that I would say is the priority is that emotional social mm-hmm. development, um, because that really sets up again the way that we see the world later on how we see relationships what we expect so what we expect in a relationship yeah um a lot of that comes from that so do we see the world as an intrinsically good place do we see people as as being generally good people do we think good things will happen do we think um you know when something bad happens do we know that something good is going to come later or that at least it'll be okay later um, do we feel safe in our relationships mm-hmm. to, do we feel safe to express both vulnerability and strength or competence in a relationship? Um, cause when you think about it, as we get older, kids, teenagers, adults, so much of our lives is about relationships. Oh yeah. Um, and the way that those go is incredibly important for our physical health as well. Mm. So, um, that would probably be my thinking about the priority and that and that sometimes even comes in with um you know like a lot of people talk about the first thousand days and I know there are some quite uh popular views or well-known people saying things like a parent the primary kid there needs to be one primary caregiver and they need to be at home yes for that first thousand Mm. days and actually the evidence doesn't totally support that that's that's not a really evidence-based um thing and actually children can have more caregivers Mm -hmm. than just one so it's very common to have two or three um you don't want to have 10 it's not 10 primary caregivers but you know two or three um and if that's if expanding your whanau to include more people including early childhood education Mm -hmm. is then going to allow you to be able to be with your child when you're with them, then I think that's much better, more important than being at home physically with your child, but not having the capacity emotionally, financially, physically Mm. to then be with them when you're there. So for some parents, they can't afford not to work. Um, And for others, they don't really, they don't thrive being at home all of the Mm -hmm. time. Um, and for some children who have higher needs, for example, these kids who have really high sensory needs and are very, can be really exhausting, um, that kind of, so I see, you know, really good ECE centre as just part of your whānau. Yes, yeah. Um, someone else, someone told me recently, they were like, yeah, your kid doesn't know that that's not their cousin. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, and so the teacher's true. not their auntie, right? Yeah, and so if you just, if we think about it that way, then actually if 
me taking my child to an early childhood educator um, or a nanny or a grandparent Mm. or an auntie. And that then allows me to recharge, to do self-care, to be, to get my cup filled or to work if that's what I need to do. Um, Then if I'm going to be a better parent. Yes. Oh, Mm. 100%. Then that's great. Mm. Yeah. And it feeds back into the emotional relationships as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess exactly. So that's when you Sorry, I was gonna say these things I guess can't no, be don't. taught though, can they? You know, it's not something you need to teach the first thousand days. It's just the experiencing them, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll often hear parents, you know, saying, Oh, I wish someone had told me. Mm. But you can't really tell someone about it before it happens to them because there's all these psychological processes that we go through during pregnancy mm. um and childbirth in those early days that you, you can't understand really mm-hmm. until you've been through it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's like you say, it's not something we can teach. We can kind of create scaffolding for mm, families yeah. um, for them to then be able to experience it and, and learn. Cause there's always with parenting, there's like, you, you're not going to know it. That's kind of, you're not supposed to know it. There's a lot of uncertainty no. and that can feel really uncomfortable very uncomfortable yes um but there's no real way around it no just part and parcel of the parenting journey isn't it yeah exactly yeah I mean I have to say this is making me feel so much better that it is you know it's not I haven't missed the boat it's not something I should have been you know explicitly teaching my children to do the first thousand days no no and that no absolutely not and that's the thing we don't again they don't need us to teach them things they just need us to be there with them and and help them experience you know we kind of help process their emotions um for them Mm. that's probably one of the big things that we do particularly with very little kids um you know like a a baby a brand new baby they cry because they need something to change something is Mm -hmm. not right and they don't know what it is so they have one way of asking for help and then it's our job to try and interpret their need and then provide for that need and so we do that kind of experimenting with a little back and forth. Was it this? Was it a feed mm. you needed? No, you didn't want to feed. Okay. Was it a cuddle? Was it movement? Was it sleep? And then over time through us interpreting their communication and their needs and their emotions, they then learn what that looks like and what that feels like. Mm. Oh, that's that sensation that I had that last time mum offered me a feed and I felt better. Maybe I'm hungry. And then, so then you'll start seeing four, six, nine months old specifically ask for a feed. You know, they'll grab the top yep. or they'll, you know, even younger, they, they then are able to recognize what that need is and ask for more specifically. So that's kind of an example of how we help them learn mm-hmm. about the world. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I guess you're building trust yeah. in that, aren't you? That you are going to respond yeah. to that need and you're developing that relationship. Exactly, that their needs will be met that they'll be heard, that they'll be listened to. Mm. Um, and we all experience these exact same things with our own relationships, with our parents or with our intimate partners or friends, um, whether we get these as good experiences or bad experiences, you know, that somebody just being there and listening to us and kind of holding those emotions and letting us process them mm. um, is something that we all need as adults as well. 
always learning yeah, and we all know the experience of it of an adult being there and being there physically but not being there emotionally yeah. for us or yeah. maybe they're listening but they're actually then just talking about their own stuff yes yeah. um yeah so why why the first thousand days why not five years you know because we know that the preschool yeah. years are so important yeah um wh- yeah. why is there that cut off well I think I don't know I think that's probably just the first thousand days is quite catchy <laughs> Um, but there are there is a move in some places to talk about the first two thousand days. Okay. Um, and I think the Te Whatu Order or the government might be talking about a two, first two thousand days, oh, so going up to right. age five. Um, and I guess there's pros and cons of each. Um, I think the first thousand days is probably that time where there is the highest uh, rate of development, and the earlier you intervene the easier it is mm-hmm. so you can you know it takes a lot less time money energy etc to make a difference at that very early stage rather than waiting mm-hmm. and intervening later um and so i think the kind of impetus of that first thousand days is really that that's when a lot of that relational stuff is really happening and a lot of that core brain development and nervous system development and physical development um, does really tend to be in the early stages. Um, and I think the other thing it's worth mentioning, because you said earlier about missing the boat, mm. is that we've never missed the boat. Um, we can always still make changes. Um, it just might take a bit more to do it. Right. So... You know, there are adults now who, adults who are having to learn this stuff, having to learn how to trust, how to, having to learn how to express vulnerability yeah. in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And for an adult, that's really hard because they might have had 20, 30, 40, 50 years of doing it a different way. Mm. Um, but for a child, if we're able to support their family or their whanau to make those changes, it's a lot easier for them to um I don't know what the right word is, respond to that, to, yeah. for it to kind of work. Mm. That does make a lot yeah. of sense, doesn't it? Yeah. And kind of the last thing we wanted to chat to you about was, um, so on your Instagram page, we love how honest you are about the fact that parenting <laughs> isn't always great. <laughs> and <Yep>. Shocker. <laughs> and it's okay. It is okay not to enjoy it and to prefer going to work and to need that stimulation yeah. in a different way to going to work yeah so do you do you hear a lot of concern and guilt around that in your clinic and what what coping mechanisms do you suggest to people to cope with that that guilt I think I think there are a lot of shoulds mm-hmm. in the parenting space that sh- shouldn't be there um <laughs> that that we don't need and I think actually those shoulds can it contribute quite a lot to um, perinatal distress, yeah. anxiety, and depression. Um, and so, one of the coping strategies sometimes is to to try and work out which of these shoulds are mine, okay. and which of them are other people's or society's. Um, so, what what are my values as a parent, right. and what's really important to me, um, rather than what I've been socialized to believe is important. Mm. Um, 
and so being able to work out you know what can, things can I eliminate the need to do what can I delegate to someone else because it doesn't really actually need to be me yeah. doing it um what can I procrastinate like it doesn't really need me to do it now <laughs> maybe it can be done later yep. um you know and tomorrow or days or weeks or years later mm. um I think it's really common not to enjoy it but I think if someone's really not enjoying parenting then they need more support yep. um because it should be enjoyable um and then there needs to be times of mutual enjoyment between a parent and their child that's really important mm -hmm. for both the development of both parent and child um but at the same time as as parents we're our own people and we have our own needs as well um and for some that might mean going to work because that's what they enjoy yeah. and it's nice to be able to have a coffee that stays hot yes and go to the toilet without being interrupted <laughs> hey. the real perks <laughs> yeah. yeah the real perks of work uh -huh. um and but it should be a choice mm. i think right it needs to be a choice do i i'm not being you're not being forced into one decision or the other so you don't want someone who wants to be at home having to go to work and you don't want someone who wants to be at work having to be yeah at home True. Yeah. Um, and I guess does that link back to what I you're saying I'll... about policy and really supporting those first thousand days yeah. by giving people that choice, you know, through I guess financial incentives and and yeah. mental health support. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because a lot of that, you know, the um, if you're not enjoying it, is there something else going? On? Has there been a trauma, mm -hmm. you know, a traumatic experience, which means that it's just a lot harder to be around your child because Mm. that triggers you back to that traumatic experience often around birth or you know if there's medical problems after you know for your baby or for yourself um or you know is there anxiety around things or is there something else that's kind of driving that need to be away mm -hmm. um yeah mm. you, I, and, and so if there's only snippets of joy rather than it being mostly enjoyable, but sometimes it's friggin' hard. Mm. Um, then I think that's where just getting some support. It doesn't mean that something's wrong, but sometimes just having someone to talk to about yeah. it, who um, can listen and tease out if there's anything more going on, um, can be incredibly useful. Mm. So I think when I kind of was trying to think of coping mechanisms, um, that's that sort of values based stuff is really good. So um, that comes under sort of act acceptance commitment therapy mm -hmm. um working out you know what are your values and, and then taking action based on those um seeking supports that feel right to you as a parent so trusting your intuition with your parenting is incredibly important and with any healthcare provider or anyone that you see yeah. to support you mm. it's got to feel right um and it and meet your values as well follow your values mm. yeah um curating your social media okay you know social yeah. media can be awesome and it can be really stress inducing so if you're following a page and it's not making you feel better if it's making you feel guilty yes. or um you know then just unfollowing or just hiding it for a while mm. um can be really useful as well mm. um that's a great tip and then again that that, that self-compassion you know that it's okay that this is really really hard um 
and it's not just you that's struggling and it's harder for some of us than others mm. um and that's not because of anything you've done wrong um and yeah what which shoulds can you get rid of mm. I love I like that. that yeah really like mm. that thinking about those shoulds yeah mm. and I guess that's yeah. a conversation it's a lot when you think about to it sit down and discuss with your partner as well isn't it to so you're sharing those values yeah 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 because sometimes you know when there's a lot of stress or there's sleep deprivation or whatever we can start disagreeing with our partner or mm. kind of you kind of get diverging views on something but actually if you come back and you talk about your the values is the same mm. you're just interpreting things in a different way or you know just the communication you get one person gets defensive and then you mm. kind of yeah get pushed in opposite directions about things mm. yeah um, but coming back and having those discussions of, well, actually what's really important for us as parents here, mm-hmm. it's this, okay, well, how do we do that in a different way? Because what's happening now isn't working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Um, thank you so much for for all of answering all of our questions so far. We do like to end by asking our guests, what do you think is one parenting item that your Fano could not live without? So I struggle trying to think of a, a, like a thing, yeah. a physical thing. Um, and the best thing I could, well, the first thing I thought of, and it was, I thought the best one was um, what we could not live without is laughter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which it's sounds really so cool. Nice. No, but, um, <laughs> it's what gets you through the day probably on, on those it days. It does. So <laughs> we're quite, we're quite silly, aren't we, Evie? Yeah. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for answering all our questions. Yeah. It's been invaluable. Um, I'm sure as reassuring as I found it, everyone else is going to find it just as, and if not more reassuring too. It's been so, so lovely. And like I said, what a special space that you get to work in. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Mm. Thank you so, so much. And um, we're going to be chatting to you about um, another topic very soon. So if you've enjoyed this one, make sure you look out for the next one. 